Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, and welcome to Grid Talk. Today, we're very pleased to have with us Drew Murphy, Senior Vice President for Strategy and Corporate Development at Edison International. We're going to be talking about a wide variety of topics that all center on a very ambitious plan to get to carbon neutrality in their service territory by 2045. Drew, first, greetings. Thanks, Marty. Thanks for having me on. Drew, we'd we'd like you to start by uh, just addressing the the existential moment you find yourself in, having undergone wildfire seasons of unprecedented savagery in the last few years, along with other utilities in your state, a rampant raging pandemic even as we speak, and a major shift in focus with this pathway 2045, which will be the heart of our conversation. How do you juggle those three incredibly challenging assignments? Yeah, well, thanks for that, Marty. And, you know, not to not to make light of it at all, but, um, as you know, I, I moved back to California about uh, a little over five years ago when I started working for Edison. And to, just to put all that in context, you know, at the time we were in the middle of a significant drought here. So since I have moved here, uh, we've had the drought We've had fire, significant wildfires, as you mentioned. We've had, you know, flooding, and now this uh, this pandemic. Um, so I do feel like uh, we've had a lot thrown at us as a state and as a society. Um, and um, I, what I say is, it's been really uh, heartening to me to see that um, as a company and as an industry here, particularly in California, that we, I think, in general, have risen to the challenge and really realized that. Um, the electric industry and companies like Edison um, play a really significant role in uh, actually making society work and getting us through this time. So um, we'll come back to that maybe as we talk about sort of um, this moment in time and how I think about that um, when it relates to our longer term strategy. But, you know, the longer term strategy is still as important as ever um, to uh, us as a company, the addressing our the need for clean energy and the need to address climate change. And I think it's just as important to the state and frankly, you know, more broadly than that, this pandemic we're experiencing, the situation we've been in with, you mentioned wildfires and the other other types of things, just show us that the kind of volatility that we uh, are experiencing now is something we have to be able to respond to and be resilient to get through. Um, and that's the focus really of our longer term strategy is to build a resilient um, grid that can provide more and more of the energy that fuels the economy and the society that we live in here. So let's uh, dive right into what is Pathway 2045? When did it kick off? And uh, what are some of the high achievables that you're going to try to accomplish here? Yeah. Uh, So let me give you a little background. So uh, several years ago, about four or five years ago, um, the state enacted some policies that were focused on reduction of greenhouse gas emission that uh, put in place a, a law that said we had to get to 60% uh, reduction from the 1990 levels by 2030. 
Um, and then uh, with a target beyond that of getting to, I'm sorry, 40% reductions by 2030, excuse me, and then 80% reductions of greenhouse gas emissions by uh, 2050. Um, though that was sort of the initial framework for our thinking back in 2017, 16, and 17. Uh, we put out an initial a clean energy pathway paper then that uh, tried to take a look at what we thought was the most feasible and least cost and most economic way uh, for the state to get there. We did that as a sort of across the economy, both the electric sector, but the other sectors, the economy. And what became clear to us at the time back in 2017 was that using uh, the electric grid to help drive decarbonization was going to be the most feasible and the most economic way to do it, certainly in California. And we think in other places as well as as other studies have proven out since then. But that was sort of the first marker we put out there, which was this view that we, we needed to have an electric-led clean energy pathway for the state and for our company to try to meet those ambitious decarbonization goals of uh, 40% by 2030 and 80% by 2050. Um, subsequently, the state has put in place some other policy goals, including um, the very ambitious goal of getting to uh, carbon neutral by 2045. And uh, for us in the energy sector, the electric sector, that means delivering uh, 100% carbon-free energy by uh, to our customers at, retail, at the retail level by 2045. So what we did uh, last year was we took our that original pathway paper to 2030 and extended it out to 2045 and said, okay, let's assume we're already on the path to 2030. How does that? What does that road? What does that pathway look? like to 2045. And, you know, it was really a lot of the same and even more of the same kinds of things, much higher levels of, of obviously renewable energy, much, much higher levels of uh, electrification, especially in the transportation space, but also in the building space. Drew, if I can interject, just so our, our listeners could understand, getting to 100% of your generation being carbon free, what does that compare to where you sit today? We have, uh, we're at just about 40% um, of our energy today being uh, either renewable uh, RPS qualified or, you know, hydro that is uh, carbon free. So we're, we're in good shape in terms of the electric sector along that pathway. Still a lot to do. What we're anticipating for the electric sector by 2045 is it will be obviously largely uh, renewables and storage, a significant amount more of uh, solar and, and wind, probably mostly solar, about an additional 80 gigawatts of solar, for instance, and then a fair amount of storage, both behind the meter and on the grid, up to 30 gigawatts is what our pathway 2045 paper says. One of the footnotes, I, I believe, is to get to that 80 gigawatts of solar, you're going to have to have half of your homes and I assume buildings equipped with solar generation. Is that right? Yeah, again, the modeling would show that we need about 50% of single-family homes with solar on them and probably some form of storage on a number of those as well. That does not look at necessarily a sort of uh, commercial solar. We would expect there would be a fair amount of that as well, but that's certainly the, the number on the single-family homes, Marty. How does that compare today? How much of a lift would it be to get half of your homes uh, equipped with solar? Yeah, we're um, we're obviously a ways away from that in terms of our own service territory. And while you know California is probably ahead of other places in the U.S., I don't remember exactly where we were as I last checked. Probably the end of last year, but we've uh, 
you know, we've got to more than triple the amount that we have currently deployed to get to that kind of number. The other thing I was going to mention, you know, that has gotten a fair amount of attention is that this kind of transformation of the electric sector is going to also um, have an impact on other parts of the economy as well. We expect that a lot more uses will be made for electricity to fuel other parts of the economy. Uh, transportation, which I think I was mentioning just a little while ago and people are talking a lot about now. We, we will need to electrify nearly three quarters of the light duty fleet by 2045. Um, that's about 26 million vehicles based on where we think things are as of today. Um, we'll also have to do a fair amount of electrification of the, you know, the, the heavy and medium duty sector. So trucks, vans, that kind of things, buses. Um, you're already starting to see uh, the, the transit bus sector electrify significantly, but we'll have to obviously accelerate um, electrification in the trucking area, which doesn't exist at, at scale yet today. Uh, about two-thirds of medium-duty vehicles and about a third of heavy-duty vehicles is what our modeling shows by 2045 would have to be electrified. And then finally, um, you know, building and space heating in California, where a lot of that is done with natural gas, as it is in other parts of the country, um, a lot of that is going to have to be electrified as well, up to up to 70%, which will mean there will be an impact on the use of natural gas, certainly in the state. And this is something that has a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of attention on that and what that means for the natural gas industry. We still think there will be a, a role for natural gas and uh, gas in, in our economy. Likely, uh, we'll have a significant reduction, up to 50% less natural gas usage in the state in California. And a lot of that usage will have to switch from natural gas to what we were calling uh, renewable natural gas, uh, you know, biomethane or potentially hydrogen. So now uh, we get to the sweet spot of our conversation and why I'm very pleased to have you with us today, given your portfolio for strategy and corporate development. Edison International is a business that has over $12.5 billion in revenues, you have these major challenges now, mandates from the state and mandates to come on how to harden and boost the resiliency in face of climate change caused fires that have ravaged various parts of the state, including yours. And now you have this pandemic, which has got to have a major impact on your revenues as use of electricity, at least for these weeks, has plummeted. Given the fact that utilities have always been known as expert in how to drive capital formation, how costly is all these things we've been talking about in these opening few minutes here, boosting solar, uh, building reliance on electricity, transforming transportation, Edison International's role of this as a business facing considerable challenges in its market, how are you going to pull it all off? Well, there's a lot in that question, Marty. Let me let me first sort of start by saying that um, the 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 other lens we use for all of the all of this, and certainly for looking at what our strategy should be and how we're going to meet these really ambitious goals, we always bring the lens of I guess the double lens of how to make sure that we do that while making sure that the grid is safe, safe for our customers, safe for the public, safe for our employees who work on it. And that we do our best to make sure that the power that we deliver and the grid that we uh, are building and operating is done so in a way that's affordable for all of our customers. And we provide uh, electricity to the 15 million residents in our service territory. And 
they are all across the economic spectrum. And so affordability is hugely important to us. Add on top of that, which you touched on, the importance of making sure that our grid is built and can be operated and can be relied on in a way that is resilient and is uh, hardened so that it survives some of these weather type events and can withstand the kinds of climate change we expect that will happen, as well as making sure that it uh, is de-risked so that it is not likely to be involved in help in causing any of these events and triggering wildfires or anything else. That's a huge focus for us. That aspect is something that is top of the list in terms of priorities. We actually um, think that what when you look at all of that, to your point, there's tremendous opportunity for us to play a role in both making sure that that grid is built in a way that's reliable and safe and affordable, but also investing in new technologies that will make sure that we can actually um, meet those ambitious 2045 goals um, in a way that is most economic and most feasible and is most efficient. That's going to help drive affordability as well. I mean, there's some, we've done some initial look at sort of the overall costs to customers when you get out towards 2045. We actually believe that as we electrify more and more of the economy, transportation, more buildings, because of the inherent efficiency in electrification, as opposed to relying on combustion to produce energy, certainly in California, but in other places as well, and as efficiency gets even higher of electric technologies, we're going to see that it will be more affordable for people to use electricity to fuel more and more of their lives. So that's that's something that we put right front and center in how we think about this. I'm just going to ask you to focus on Edison International and SCE as its business. Uh, there have been a lot of talk about stimulus funds in the federal government, and they're quickly going up to talk about trillions of dollars. Your company and its subsidiary serve in excess of 15 million residents in, in a very densely populated part of our country. Will it take trillions of dollars of investment on the, your behalf to make this transformation possible by 2045? Um, it's going to take investment across the economy, both through the utilities like SCE and the other utilities in the state, but uh, lots of other actors. I mean, I guess our, our high-level estimate, I think, is about $170 billion of clean energy investment that we think will need to be made across the state to get to 2045 and to build out the level of renewables and storage and, frankly, the grid technologies that go along with that. Um, to make it all happen and to connect it. And, you know, let me underscore that investment. Well, it is, you know, money that has to be raised and paid for. It also represents a huge economic development opportunity for the state. We expect a tremendous number of jobs, especially skilled uh, jobs, construction jobs, research jobs to be tied to that and other potential funding for infrastructure and research, that kind of thing. I think it's a, a terrific opportunity uh, for investment and for economic development in the state uh, as we look at it. But it's not just us. It's going to be lots of other folks as well. So I understand the, the big pot we're talking about here, that $175 billion of investments by you and other utilities and other players. Is that right? That's correct, Marty. Yeah, everybody from uh, the utilities to the folks that are going to be installing and operating solar plants, uh, and owning solar plants to storage, to 
to charging infrastructure for electric vehicles and on and on. So it's it's across the economy. One of the areas we have just started to really think about um, what it looks like, and this is something that um, we're, we're early days in, is what does the grid need to look like when you get out to 2040 and 2045 that far out? It, it will definitely have different aspects than it has today, new technologies. And we're just beginning to put together an approach to saying, how can we reimagine what the grid needs to look like, how it needs to operate, what capabilities it needs to have to, to deliver on these policies, but also to deliver on the promise we have to our customers that as you rely on uh, the grid to deliver electricity to power more and more of your life, not just your lights, but now your, your heating and your cooling and your transportation and your internet and your cell phone and all of this, which we're finding to be really important in this time of COVID-19, we need to make sure that, that grid is efficient, available, reliable, and that it operates uh, consistently across our service territory so that we can provide that fuel for everybody's life uh, on a daily basis. And we're really taking that seriously right now and looking at what those new technologies should be. So as you look at how the grid will look differently, I'm sure you're also looking at how your business will look differently. Any thoughts that you can share with us on what the utility of 2045 might look like? You know, I think in some ways it'll probably be recognizable and look similar to today. Edison has been around for over 130 years and certainly changed in many ways. Also, the fact that we are tied to the place that we and the employees at Edison where we work and we all live and we're in our communities, I think that will continue to be very recognizable. The fact that, you know, our employees are out doing work in our communities and connecting every home and business in our service territory, that will continue to be the case. And so I think you'll recognize many aspects of how we do business in terms of the connection to our customers, the connection to our communities, uh, the fact that we're part of the fabric of the economy and life in our service territory here in California. What I think will will hopefully be quite different is that we may we may find as a company uh, we're working in different ways. Um, certainly, we're talking about that right now. As you know, we're um, working from home largely. We perform an essential service. We're a critical infrastructure company, and yet we have moved a well over two thirds of our employees to working remotely doing telework. We have very few people going into an office anymore. Only uh, last I heard, frankly, several hundred out of 13,000 employees. We obviously have a number of employees who are out doing field work. When our stay at home orders were being just about to be issued right before they were in fact, we went in three days, we moved two thirds of our workforce, over 8,000 people to work from in an office to work from home. and. I think that's just a great um, example to me of how technology and um, and time and, and, and necessity can help hopefully drive us to be innovative and to look different as a company um, when we look forward in the years and yet still perform the same service um, and still have the same role in our communities. You think you're going to have trouble getting them all to come back to the office? Is this a permanent transformation? <laughs> You know, it's a, it's certainly a discussion I think we're having at our company. I think it's going on in a lot of places right now. We're in an interesting moment in time. Um, you know, there are good things about working and not having to go to the office, certainly in California, in Southern California, not having to have a long commute, which many, many of us do. 
is, is a positive thing. And yet I know there are many folks who find, um, miss the uh, interconnection, the connection with people, uh, socializing, the kinds of brainstorming that happens when you're, when you see people physically, and we can do some of that virtually. So I think it will be mixed. I think it'll look different. Um, but uh, I hope I hope we get there sooner rather than later. Then we'll have then we'll have the choice on how we can come back. Um, but we are trying to learn from it. Um, and I will say, you know, we are trying to make sure that we're always doing this with the idea of protecting our employees and looking out for them and our customers first. So we won't come back in a way that puts anybody at risk needlessly. Um, and I know that that's on everyone's mind at the moment. I'm going to circle back to some of what we were talking about earlier the economic collapse that this pandemic has brought about, how will it, that affect the rollout of the strategy that you're well into now in terms of addressing Pathway 2045? It's a really good and interesting question that we're we're thinking about, and I don't think anybody knows the answer right now because this is a situation that is really involving almost day to day. But um, there is certainly a risk that if we have a significant recession and that and an economic disruption that lasts for a longer period of time, that could impact the ability of our customers, the businesses in our state, and um, just generally the economy to support some level of investment that needs to be made to to drive uh, us towards those aggressive climate goals that we've talked about. I am concerned that, you know, people will push back on making those investments in the short term. We, we want to make sure we do everything we can to try to find ways to continue investing and, and pushing in that direction. One of the things we're seeing, for instance, is that with people not driving to work every day, we can actually see an immediate impact on our air quality. The air is much cleaner, and I know people are experiencing other places. That's obviously a short-term impact, and if you look at climate change, that you can't where you can't see greenhouse gas emissions, we have to make sure that we all take that lesson and remember that converting our transportation sector from uh, internal combustion engines to you know electric transportation will have the same impact on our air quality, but also address climate change longer term. So we have to take a lesson from this time and and make sure that it's not lost when we come out. But I do think that there's a risk that, you know, a recession and an economic downturn will reprioritize, at least for some parts of the state and some people, uh, where they are focused and the importance of uh, sustainability and climate change. They won't for us. I will say for Edison, it will, uh, being a sustainable company, um, making sure that we are focused on both the, the climate change goals, but also being sustainable as a as a business for the long term, which is what sustainability really means to us. Back to your early question around what will we look like in, in, you know, in 25 years. We plan to be here. We plan to be an important part of the fabric of society. And we believe our strategy to invest in clean energy technologies is still the best way to ensure that that's the role we play and that we actually have a state that is cleaner and more sustainable and more resilient when we get there. So. I'm hopeful that the long term we'll, we'll be able to get where we need to, but I do think the next couple of years we could experience some headwinds, especially economic headwinds, um, given, given where we are now. Drew, I know you travel around a lot to a lot of industry meetings. To what extent do you think these kinds of policies and innovations are unique? that your company and your state is going to be ahead of the country? And does that give you any pause or concern 
There was a period not too long ago, several decades back, where California embraced policies and got ahead of the rest of the industry, and that didn't turn out so well. So I, I realized the importance of these issues being mandated by state policies and law, but do you worry at all about getting ahead of the industry, or is that something that's not on your mind? You know, it's funny, Marty, I, like you, have been, um, you know, in this industry and around it for a while and have seen, you know, some of the ebb and flow of interest and investment in in renewable energy and clean energy. But if I step back and look at the longer range trend, it has definitely been towards renewable energy, towards addressing climate change. So I'm an optimist in the sense that I think that we're still, we're on the right path generally. I guess what I would say in terms of the you know, California's role in that, and, and that's EIXs and Edison's and SEs too. I've been really amazed to see that even since we put out the first pathway paper in 2017, which was a bit of an outlier at the time in terms of taking a position as electric utility on how aggressive we would need to be to support these kinds of greenhouse gas reduction goals, we have seen a number of other utilities in the U.S. and abroad, but particularly in the U.S., come in uh, with very similar plans, putting out similar sort of uh, pathway-type papers showing what they think they need to do in terms of uh, decarbonizing their electricity mix, uh, shutting down more coal plants, building more renewables. Um, I attend, you say, a lot of industry meetings on with uh, the other utilities, and the interest and commitment to transportation electrification in the last two to three years has changed significantly. There are working groups at all of the uh, industry, in the industry groups, on transportation electrification, on larger electrification of other parts of the economy. So I actually think California can lead on this, and we as a company can lead, and that's what we try to do is to sort of take that message that there are ways to think about this that are both achievable and still economic and still can be affordable for your customers. So I think we can lead. We have to always be conscious in California that, you know, every other places have different dynamics. So we try to make sure that we look at it through their eyes as well. But I, I think the industry is moving generally in, in a very similar direction. And so I, I think we're on the path that others are on as well. Thanks for talking with us today, Drew. Well, I appreciate it, Marty. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for listening to Grid Talk. We were talking for the last half hour with Drew Murphy of Edison International. He was sharing his insights on what's happening at his company and in California and across the industry. You have been listening to Grid Talk. You can send feedback or questions to us at gridtalk at nrl.gov. And we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review at your favorite podcast platform. For more information about this series or to listen into more than a dozen previous podcasts or to subscribe, you can visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks and goodbye. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.